Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Pod Jerky. I'm your host, Director Awesome. I am joined here today once again by Mrs. Awesome. Hello, everybody. And today we're going to be talking about infertility and the process that we had to go through when we were doing fertility treatment in the hopes Mm -hmm. that we can actually tell our story and at the same time maybe give some guidance to some people out there who are thinking about going through this or have uh, are in the process of going through this right now. Um, So basically it just started out when we first got married Mm -hmm. and uh, I guess we tried for the first two years to have kids and we were unsuccessful and we decided that we were going to go to the doctor and talk to the doctor about this and I guess we were going to see our family doctor at the time. Yep. And he said that, you know what, um, I guess people usually wait, what, about a year and then they start to go to fertility clinics after a year. Yep. Uh, so we were actually um, a little bit late in doing that, I guess, uh, for waiting for two years. And uh, we didn't think that that was that long of a time. So how did we come to find out uh, the first fertility doctor that we actually went to see? So I think it was there was a bunch of things that our family doctor had told us to try Um you know, part of it was, you know, losing weight and controlling your diet and uh, different things like that. And um, he said that we should really try doing those things first before we sought out fertility treatment. And I was actually lucky enough to find a clinic in our hometown that would actually take us without a family doctor referral. Um, So I ended up filling out the form and I think we were in to see the doctor within a couple of weeks. Um, for our first set of like, there's a bit of gazillion forms you have to fill out when you go in. So it's kind of like a consultation almost, uh, when we went in there, right? Yeah. And, um, I think the one thing that I realized the most out of all of this was, um, you, you can't hide anything. The questions that they ask you in those consultations and in those forms are, ridiculously personal yeah things that you never thought a doctor would need to know about you and you have to be pretty open and honest in order to get a proper assessment and treatment plan built um and i think that shocked you and i both about the amount amount of honesty we had to have well we Uh, didn't we didn't know what to expect when we were going in there no not at all we thought we were going in just to chat about what was going on um, what are our options, I guess, and go from there. But when filling out all these forms and stuff, we, we got into that whole, um, privacy thing, right? Like of the, of what they wanted to know. How many sex partners you've had, um, how long it is, all the stuff that happens. I mean, I guess we shouldn't really be shy about saying certain things on here, but you know, ejaculation and periods and all that craziness they they talk about everything well i guess the doctors have to know right i mean they have to find what maybe the root cause is to see if you are actually even able to have children and to see what's working what's not right so Mm -hmm. i mean i was shocked at what they asked us but at the same time you're appreciative of what they ask you because they're trying to find the root cause right and Mm -hmm. what's happening right yeah so and then the sex ed class we ended up going through with the nurse and... Yeah, there, so there, there was a lot of process that you had to go through for that. And I don't believe... Do, did we have to end up paying for that? I don't remember. No, that was all covered That, that was all covered by OHIP, and, um, which was great. And we went through 
two or three treatments for IUI, which is interuterine insemination, um, which basically means ejaculate into a cup, bring it over to the doctor, and they insert it into my wife, right? So that's basically what that is for those of you that don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through a couple of those, but you had to go on to some hormone drugs first. Yep. Um, so that's just basically an injection that we would have to give to you uh, every once a day. Once a day. Yep. And uh, that would help to stimulate your follicles, I guess. Yeah. And when you're doing an IUI treatment, they really want to control the number of follicles that are growing. And essentially the follicle is what kind of the, the little sac that the egg will eventually mature into. Um, but they want to control the number that you have. So the medication dosing between an IUI or an IVF cycle are very different um, because they don't want an IUI to result in multiple birth. Um, they're really, truly aiming for you to get, say, between one to three fo- healthy, good follicles in hopes that one will take. Um, but really, they want to make sure that you don't end up with multiple birth because it's actually not healthy um, a lot of the times for multiple birth, or it can be a lot riskier, sorry, not healthy, but riskier. Um, and especially when you're going through fertility treatments, um, they just, they're really, really cautious about it. Right. So we ended up doing, was it three treatments that we did there? I can't remember. It was was two or three. Two or three treatments that we ended up doing and we weren't successful with that. Mm -hmm. And we started to get a little bit frustrated, which is common with anybody that goes through this process. And we didn't know, I guess, what the next steps were. The doctor had talked to us about doing IVF. Mm -hmm. And uh, IVF is a very expensive procedure. And that can cost you up to about 10 grand, I believe, or 15 grand. 20 with the meds. uh, And 20,000 with the meds, right? Um, Because you are on the hook for all of that. Now, the doctor actually referred us to a clinic, I guess, in downtown Toronto. Mm -hmm. And we went down to this clinic. And again, you go through the whole same process again with the doctor. They kind of have your file, but you know, you go through the same questions and they try to build out a program for you. So we ended up going to see this doctor. And the good thing about this at the time was, I believe we fell under the yeah, OHIP program that the was government actually... funding program was actually just about to start in and around the time that we were going for our consultation. Yeah. So there was, I believe it was 5,000 for the province or for the mm-hmm. country, the was for the province that were given out. So there was tickets. Apparently the way it worked was those were tickets that were given out. And there was about 5,000 of these tickets that would go out throughout the province to different hospitals. And it just so happened that our hospital, uh, I guess, got 700 or 685 of those tickets out of the 5,000, where other clinics were only getting one or two, which were much, much smaller. We're talking about, excuse me, we were talking about a a really big hospital that we were at uh, clinic downtown. So uh, they got the majority of the tickets because they were so big, right? had a lot of clients and and so and so and so whatever. Um, so we actually like we went in to see this doctor and uh, we did actually go and get a, I guess, a profile filled out and our whole treatment plan designed out for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, you went back on to the hormones again. Yeah. And that was another shot every day as well. Yeah. So um, I think the for those of you who have not gone through fertility treatment, um, 
it's not that these procedures or these drugs are evasive or they hurt or anything like that. I think what I realized was you you just can't be weirded out by the number of people that see you, uh, see the different parts of your body. I mean, essentially you get an internal uh, ultrasound exam pretty much every day leading up to all of the treatments, regardless of what it is. Um, you know, depending on the type of treatment you're getting, your dosing will change and the type of drugs that you're on will change. Um, from the female side of things, the males have a couple of vitamins that they recommend taking, but for the most part, um, majority of the stuff that's happening is happening to, to the female. Now, and- now I will say in our case, and of course in our case, uh, I had to go through a lot of stuff as well. Yeah. It wasn't um, usually, yes, it is the female that has to go through the majority of um, the treatment mm-hmm. stuff. That, that that's designed for this whole plan. Don't worry, I wasn't going to forget about you. However, I mean, I did have to go through uh, a prostate uh, examination. I did have to go through a procedure where they knocked me out and shocked my prostate or electrocuted or whatever they did. They put an electric yeah. current through there. Um, I had to do different procedures as well to try and figure out why we weren't able to conceive. So uh, in this case specifically... We both had to go through different procedures, but majority of the time, it yes, it is the woman who usually has to go through the majority of the treatments. So, yeah, um, yeah and I think um, the first time we walked into the Toronto clinic and we sat there was the first time we ever had to actually go through an actual checkup and the ultrasounds and everything. I think it was like standing room only in the waiting room. And this waiting room could probably hold 60 people. That's how big this clinic was. And I think it was the first time that I realized that... We're not in this alone. No, and there were so many couples. And, um, you know, there were definitely same-sex couples that were there. All different races and religious backgrounds. And, like, you just you really saw a very broad spectrum community of people that were sitting there and they were all there for fertility issues. They all varied in, I guess, whatever it was that they were getting treatment for, but it was really eye opening at that point to think, I think I can't remember the stat the nurse gave us, like it's one in three or one in four couples um, are going through some form of, fertility treatment and just so you know we're always that one in four right we're always that one no matter what we're always that one in four couple so yeah um but before we had to start this we actually had to go and see a counselor yeah a government approved counselor before you're actually different counselors yeah so before you actually get to do your uh, ivf treatment you have to go and see a counselor and i guess that's just to see if your mental state is going to be able to handle this to see where you stand on, you know, potential donors or potential um, failure of the procedures and stuff like that. So you you did have to go and see a counselor. They had to sign off on this to make sure that everything is okay. And then the doctors would see, right? And again, they ask you a lot of personal stuff. Yeah. And you, you've, got no option but to be honest with them um but we're open books right i mean i don't like for me it doesn't really matter if you ask me a question i was actually surprised at how open you were to be honest with you given how personal personal these sessions had to get 
I actually forgot about the first one. I remember the second one. Yeah. So that was that that was the thing that we had to do before we actually got into, into We did the it doctors, on Skype right? in the living room. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> and then the the second one that we saw, the second counselor that we had to go and see, um oh, was we'll that for that, that was there. for adoption, right? No. Was it what was that for? The donor. Oh, for the donor, that's yeah. right. But we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um so we did go and see the IVF doctor and we set up our treatment and everything went ahead and we did how many sessions did we do with that i believe we did two IVF two or three ivs two one one One. we got covered for the one right and then figured you know what we've gone through three iuis plus uh, an ivf yeah. And the IVF didn't take either. Well, I feel like you're skipping over all the good stuff. Well, what what happened was is we went into this treatment and we actually did get um, yeah, so... the egg and we did get the uh, the sperm and they had an embryo. They had an actual good embryo, right? So I think the the part that I think we didn't realize was the day of our egg retrieval um we actually had 17 eggs right. um, that they had actually retrieved that day, um, 14 which they deemed um, mature and viable to be able to um, move forward with. Right. Unfortunately, they were not able to fertilize that day um, just due to other circumstances. Um, so my husband had to end up going for a couple of treatments after that, uh, in order to be able to, um, get viable sperm to be able to fertilize. So they ended up having to freeze my eggs, um, at the time. Now the downfall, um, of freezing them when they're not fertilized is there is potential that you could lose some of them when they go to thaw them for the procedures. So what ended up happening was when um, when we got the sperm ready to go, uh, we opted only to do half of them right. on the first try um, just to see how many we could uh, potentially get. And we got one viable embryo. Right. Um, so we did have that implanted and obviously did not work. Um, so we um, thawed the remaining eggs um, and tried again. And unfortunately, um, we did not get any embryos. Right. So out of 14 viable eggs, we got one. One embryo. Uh, and one that didn't work. Right. So, and with that, you, you think about, okay, you know what? We have to start this process all over again, right from the beginning where you're going to have to go under, um, get the eggs removed again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to go through the procedure again. We're going to have to start the drug treatment pro, like uh, program again, mm-hmm. um, go all the way from the start. And this is where now you're looking at about 20 grand in total to start this whole treatment back up again. So mm-hmm. this would be a second go around if we decided to do it. At this point, we were mid-30s, <laughs> mid-30s, yeah, or, mid-30s, you know, mid-30s. Uh, we were emotionally drained just from all the failed tests. We were, you know, a little bit upset at the same time and we just decided, you know what, this is maybe, this is just a sign. Maybe this is just not for us. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're just meant not to have kids. And uh, that that's just, I guess, where we stand with that. I mean, we, we weren't able to have kids, but there there are other options out there once you do go through this process. And 
man, what an eye opener that was as well <laughs> yeah. um, to see the different options out there and how how much a cost is of the different options and what yeah. you can do. So we decided, I don't remember which one was first. Did we talk about going into adoption yeah. first? So we, we wanted to look into what the cost of adoption was. So we actually called up a counselor uh, who dealt with adoptions, so private adoptions and um, I guess international adoptions and um, yes. children's aid society. So in Ontario, you have to um, become adopt certified essentially. Um, and so this was a guy I had actually found on Adoption Ontario's website that lived in our area and conducted those courses. So um, essentially there's, I think it's two days over the course of a weekend or five evening nights or something like that, where you can go in and you have to become adopt ready. Um, so we, I had given him a call to see, you know, what was, how do we just find out more information, um, about adoption, what it means, how long it takes, um, what adopt certified meant, what adopt ready meant and sort of what the whole process was. Um, and thankfully he actually just lived around the corner from us in the next neighborhood over. Um, and he actually invited us over one night I think we were there for like an hour and a half, no charge, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, and he said, you know, he's been an adoption counselor for 40 years in Ontario. And he's like, I really believe on giving couples information um, before they make decisions on whether or not this is something that they wanted to pursue. So he does it at no charge. Right. So we we kind of just discussed during that conversation on doing an international adoption or doing a private adoption or doing one through children's aid. Now, there's such a difference in all of them with international adoption. You're you're going and you're adopting a, a child out of another country. Now, the problem with that is, is the expense of it. So it could end up costing you about $100,000 in total to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And you have to be ready when they ask to actually take a flight out to that country. So you're basically got to drop what you're doing and get on a flight and go out to whatever country you were adopting from to go and do visits with this child or visits with the counselors that are out there, whatever your um, situation is at the time. And you don't even know how long you potentially could be there depending on if it goes through and getting with your consulate to try and get all the paperwork approved to come home. Right. You know, and and I won't say that we're experts. um, So please, if this is an option that you guys are pursuing out there, just make sure that you talk to all the right people. This was just our experience and i'll be honest with you it's been a couple years Mm -hmm. so our recollection of it so well my recollection isn't too bad no um like they they actually talked about doing a private uh, adoption right so this is maybe through um, a mother maybe a teen mother who uh, wants to give their child up for adoption or maybe it was an abusive uh, household that wants to give up their child for an adoption. Now, keep in mind, these are mostly newborns that we're looking at on doing these um, adoptions from international and for private. Now, the the problem that we found with private adoption was, is that's about a $60,000 bill you're looking at. And you're paying for mostly everything that's going on for that mother, right? So whatever she's not covered for, you're going to be paying for medications, you're going to be paying for counseling, um, you're going to be paying for anything that that has to do anything with the baby. Now, lawyers fees, yeah, lawyers fees, fees, court fees, all of that. And what's going to happen is, is at the at the end of all of it, 
and they give up the baby, they have, I believe it's 28 days or 30 days that they can take the baby back and they do not have to refund your money whatsoever. So you could be out that entire, you know, amount of money and you still don't have a child. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that that child you have bonded with in the first, you know, three, four weeks that they've been at your house um, and everything was ready. Now, with adoption also, you have to think too that they have very extensive background checks on you. So what they do is they come into your house, they make sure that your house is adopt ready, make sure that there's nothing dangerous in the house. They talk to family members, they talk to your friends, they go through your financials, they go through everything, your social media accounts. They wanna make sure that you're a good fit for this child. Um, so that was a little bit eye-opening eye opening because we weren't expecting that either right no. so and you um, like I remember them saying you had to create like basically a, a marketing campaign almost yes. um, it's probably not the right, right choice of words but I well, don't know well, how else we, to say it well we likened it to basically going to the dog pound because they would have these meets where you would go oh no that was um, for oh um, this was for sperm donor I'm sorry we, we'll, we'll get into that as well um, no, you're there. talking about is the, when you adopt through child Ch- children's services. aid. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be on to our, our, our next little bit of a discussion, but we'll, we'll actually get into the, the, the children's aid, uh, adoption thing. So we, our next option that he gave us was going through children's aid. And that was actually a, a big eye opener as well for us. Yeah. Right. So the, the process of how we were uh, told about this is how they explained it to us was there's a whole lot of uh, like big stack of uh, file I guess right that has a whole bunch of kids and the way that they would work it is they check into your history they check into your profession they check into everything and the one question that I had was if I work with special needs kids because of my experience are they going to force me to take a special needs child out of children's aid. And he, his answer was absolutely. And and that was kind of a shock to me because I, I, I wasn't expecting that. And it had nothing to do with not wanting special needs children or anything like that. But I just wanted to know what the information was regarding that because I work all day with the special needs children and then to come home with special needs children, it would be exhausting. Um, I'm not gonna lie. and. Uh, I just, I, I was, I was a little bit taken we were, back, uh, right? We didn't necessarily know if we were up for it as well. Right. Um, you know, it, the thing about the children's aid society too, um, obviously children are typically over the age of two up to teenagers most often. And really they want, the one thing that I didn't realize when we first started this is that because we live in a specific area of Ontario, a certain region of Ontario, we had to go through that region um, to get certified and to um, work with, an, um, I guess, a social worker in this region. We were not really allowed to kind of go outside of right, right. of Durham region um, to be able to be like, you know what, I, I really want to deal with Toronto. Um, we weren't really allowed. You had to deal with in your own particular region, um, basically until you became adopt certified um, and until you kind of did all your courses and background checks within within that. 
And let's face it, there's probably not enough social workers for the number of children that are within children's aid. And so the time frame in dealing with children's aid is generally a lot longer as well. So that's the other piece. You know, if you did it through a private um, counselor like we were talking to, then we could likely get through the certifications and everything within six months. But children's aid can take up to two years, depending on their volume. Right. Um, because even people applying to be foster parents have to go through the same um, procedures and same kind of protocols. So those are things that we didn't really, really understand. Um, and then I think once that happened, you and I think this is what you were alluding to earlier. There's two, basically two events a year, these national adoption events where different uh, children's aid societies from around the province and i want to even potentially say the country um don't remember i think it was provincial right um come in and it's it's like a network essentially where you can go and see the children that they have in their facilities that are up for adoption and I kind of alluded to looking at, and I'm, it's probably not this severe. Again, we never went to one of these things, but what was going through my head at the time as he was talking about it was sort of like visiting the Humane Society and looking at profiles of, of dogs, you know, right. where you yeah. get a photo and like a brief history of this particular child and sort of why they were in Children's Aid and a little bit about their personality or what they're doing with their foster family. And then essentially you would write your name down if you were interested in a child and then hope to God you were a fit for what they were looking for. And you might get a call. You might not get a call and you will never know. Like you, you don't follow up with them. They kind of follow up with you is the kind of feeling I got. Um, And yeah, it was just the, there is no amount of research on the internet that you could do that would have prepared us for the conversation we oh, had with this guy not. that night. Absolutely not. No. You know, it's kind of sunshines and rainbows about the adoption process on um, on the internet. And, you know, I have a friend I work with who, you know, was lucky enough to, to adopt two children. And, you know, they speak really highly of the process and, um, you know, it worked out really well for them. I just don't think that we were prepared for what he was going to tell us. I don't know that we were emotionally prepared to deal with some of the consequences, the wait time. You know, I think we walked out of that hour and a half meeting feeling completely flabbergasted. Like we got into the car and I think we sat in the car at the bottom of his driveway for like 10 minutes in silence because we were just so overwhelmed by the information that was given to us. It yeah. was it was just a lot of information to take in yeah. and a lot of stuff that we didn't know. And 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 like you said, like we need you, you have to go and talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about mm-hmm. with this stuff and and not just google it and and think that the process is going to be so easy. It's it's a difficult process. Um, and I think uh, we just realized we weren't cut out for it. And yeah. I'm not saying that it isn't for everybody. You know, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful success stories out there with adoption. And, you know, there are couples that have been so lucky to see such great success out of it. I just don't think we were prepared. And I don't know that we wanted to 
to, you know, after her, at that point, five years of fertility treatment. Yeah. I don't know that we were prepared for another X number of years of the process it would take for adoption. No, not at all, right? It I was... think we were emotionally exhausted by the time that. Yeah, I, and I think at that point we just said, you know what, this is not the route we want to take. Yeah. Let's look further into what else we can do and see if there's any way of speeding up the process. Because you have to think now we're in our mid-30s. Um, and, and you see everybody else around you has kids. You want your kids to grow up together. Um, you want to see everybody, you know, have happy families and everything like that. So we said, you know what, let's try a different route here. Let's see what else is out there. So we actually looked into getting a donor, mm-hmm. um, sperm, donor. sperm donor. And that again, I'm going to use this once again is one hell of an eye opener because yeah. We we were put onto the sperm donor by our clinic, our, our clinic. fertility clinic. Yeah, and there's two 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 good establishments in either Ontario or Canada that we had to go through. Uh, one was locally out of Newmarket, which is the the company we opted to go with. Um, and same thing. So in this instance, we actually had to meet with two people. So. We had to meet with the lady that ran the sperm donor clinic um, and we had to do a whole, I want to say like a personality profile kind of thing with her where she asked us a ton of questions about ourselves and what we were looking for, nationality, hair color, blood type, um, I don't remember weight, this. body builds, all of that stuff. You remember we did it in Skype, we did a Skype session with her too. I don't remember that. I remember going into somebody's office, a counselor that we had to go to. So then, according to our fertility clinic and the government of Ontario, um, because you're doing a donor, you actually had to go for a real psychology exam. exam. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't just a counselor. It had to be a certified um, psychologist in family or sexuality, something like that. I don't remember. Um, and so there was a list of, I think, 20 or 30 people that we could choose from. And this, again, is not covered by OHIP. You're, no, you're yeah, paying you're the price for this. this. And this was probably about a $400 or $600 bill, something like that. Yeah. 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 And so we had to go and meet with her before they would even, I think we even had to do that before we were allowed to even go to the sperm donor yeah. clinic. Yeah. Um, and they... They got to give you a pass or a fail. Yeah. And what I, what I, surprisingly, what I didn't realize when we got into that one was was less about you and I mentally being able to handle doing a donor um which again it's don't worry it's in the conversation (laughs) around how how do you feel about it um and you know how do you think your partner feels about it but really around how do you handle raising a child of a donor we had to put on our brave faces and lie a lot in there. We did not lie. That's awful. But you know, it was really, I think, um, I think one of the hardest questions that she asked us was how we were feeling about it. And I think surprisingly, um, you said that you were actually really okay with it. And where I struggled was more about, you know, kind of feeling almost guilty that baby would be biologic biologically not mine correct 
and that which I was okay with. I was I was yeah. fine. At least if it had half. I mean, if you if you look at uh, doing an adoption, the baby is not biologically yours at all. Yeah. Um, but if you went through a donor way, then uh, at least you know you still have half of your your heritage in there um, that you can you know say is half yours. Yeah. Um, now, when we went through the um, the uh, donor list, it, it actually you know gives you a whole breakdown, and we're talking about like. 50 60 pages of reading material on on mm. each donor right so you're you're looking through these donors and you're looking at their heritage so if you have an italian background and you want an italian donor you know the people out there that are, are actually giving this is you know they're italian so you mm. can pick an italian background or a german background or you know whatever background you choose you can filter through Blue it that eyes, way, you know blonde hair you know what their athletic builds, yeah and what their grandparents were yeah. or you know it, it gives you an, a, a total breakdown their interests their you know their habits have they you know drank and if a we're lot lucky, or photos photos sometimes yeah um and i believe that their donors only come out of the us yeah they there's do no not Canadian come out. Donors. There's no such thing as Canadian donors. Um, I'm sure there are some donors out there. However, it's not uh, medically allowed, you know. So <laughs> it's not legal. Um, but I can't you, remember the reason why, but there is a reason that Canada doesn't do it. Although the, the well, testing because they, don't they pay. have to. Oh, that's why. So yeah, the, the Canadians will not pay their donors, whereas in the U.S. you do get paid yeah. for um, being a donor. But apparently when they certify acceptable for Canada, there's like a whole sort of health Canada test that they have, that the donors have to go through in order to become certified for Canada. I guess the testing is a lot more stringent around um, health and kind of well-being and, and health history. Um, so not all donors from the U.S. are viable for Canadian purchase. Yeah. Well, even in the donor profiles, it actually even tells you if they've, uh, if anybody else has actually used this donor before, and if, and they if they've children. been successful, yeah. and the, the 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 guy that we ended up picking out ended mm-hmm. up having, I believe, success with another couple. Yeah. Um, and we liked the profile. We liked everything. He um, actually looked like you as a kid. Yeah. So we were like, you yeah. know what? He had a German background. Uh, let's let's go with this one. So, uh, we we put in to have. Um, he this only donor. had three vials left. Yeah. And so we decided to buy all three. Yeah. Um, because we weren't sure which of what treatment we were going to opt to go with at that point. So you could, again, choose to go through the IVF way. You can choose to do the IUI. Uh, doing IVF, you're going to, again, accrue that cost of, you know, $20,000. Mm-hmm. Or we could do the IUI, which I believe was covered under OHIP. Uh, under OHIP. Mm-hmm. So we decided to go with the IUI. I mean, we're not rich. We don't have uh, 20 grand just to throw around, you know, here and there just whenever we feel like it. So we said, you know what? We tried IUI to begin with. Then we went the IVF route. Let's try the IUI again with the sperm donor. Let's see how that takes. So once again, you went back onto the medications mm-hmm. and we went in for the IUI and we used uh, the donor and that two, two of the three. two two of the three vials mm-hmm. and that didn't take as well so we decided at the end of that that was our last chance at doing this 
um, we're now you yeah. Know, so we had we had one vial left, and this is when we had to make a decision about whether or not we were going to use it for IUI or whether or not we were going to um, fork over the dough and go through IVF. Yeah. So uh, at, at the end of the day, we just decided that this was. We we kind of went through all the channels. We went through IUI. We went through IVF. We went through adoption channel. We went through uh, IUI again with a donor. And it just didn't happen. It was just not meant for us. It wasn't meant to happen for us. And um, we just decided, you know what? We're just going to have to live with the fact that we can't have kids, right? So um, we got another dog. So we got another dog instead. Right. And and we already talked about that in a, in a, in a previous episode. But... Um, you know, like at the beginning of all of this, when we first started out, it was, it was very emotional for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we took it very hard, uh, when we first found out our first IUI negative result. Right. And we took it hard and we felt at the time and please, before you guys that I know are listening, um, before you say anything, let me finish the story. We felt at the time that we had no support because we were pretty open about um, what we were going through with everybody. And uh, many of our friends and um, family didn't really kind of check in on us and Again, please let me finish this before, you know, you get upset with us. And at the time, we didn't really understand that it's a sensitive subject for people, right? Mm-hmm. And they 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 do really care what you're going through, but they don't want to dig into your well, I think they're personal nervous. information, right? They're, yeah, they're nervous to ask because they think they're afraid they're going to upset us. Right. Or that they're going to touch a nerve on a sensitive subject. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was hard to hear over and over again about your friends getting um, pregnant and then, you know, your test results constantly coming back negative. Like at this, we, we were so happy, but oh my sad God, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it wasn't like we were angry that our, our friends were having kids. We were angry at the fact that we weren't able to. And mm-hmm. our friends kept telling us, hey, we're pregnant. Hey, we're pregnant. And and it just kind of wore on you at that time, right? It was because you were going through this whole process at the time. Yeah. And I will say that, um, you know, as time went on, I think is when it got more difficult for people to talk about it. You know, some, some people were on to round two of kids and, you know, we obviously still hadn't um, conceived at all. Um, and, you know, we know we had friends that were going through troubles too at the time. Um, and I think as time went on, it got harder for them potentially to talk about it. And, you know, to say that we didn't have a support system or anything like that, I definitely would say, you know, we we did. And, and there were definitely people that did check in on us. But for the you know, most part, it, it did feel really lonely. Yeah. You know, um, especially because out of the people that we know, we were truly the only ones that we knew that were going through it or that were willing to talk about it. And that's not to say that, you know, if we had friends out there that were going through this, maybe they went through it alone and they didn't want to talk about it. I right. think you and I were a lot different where we needed to talk about it. It was kind of our therapy in dealing with it. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody, no doctor, friend, anybody else can prepare you as a couple for 
the emotional ups and downs and it comes with the hormones it comes with the the disappointment the two-week wait before you're allowed to go get tested and you know in our case the constant disappointment and i mean my god the hormones the (laughs) those alone would have driven us crazy i would literally be in traffic on the way home from work and just burst into tears because I was in traffic. Like it was so unreasonable <laughs> the amount of emotion um, that you go through that nobody can prepare you because everybody yeah. reacts very differently to the medications and to the process. And um, you know they don't. No matter how many counseling sessions we went into, I don't think anybody talks to you about the potential strain that this is going to have on your relationship. Right. Yeah. And you know I think thankfully you and I were took a little while but we were really willing to talk to each other about what was going on in our own heads and how we were feeling and you know i think for a long time you and i both carried guilt around that we were the reason we weren't um getting pregnant and i definitely will say we never blamed the other person i think we really blamed ourselves individually for being the reason that it wasn't happening and yeah i just you know but again, it's like, hard it, it, and it's okay for it to be hard. It is okay. And, you know, you what you really want to do with your friends, because um, like I said, the way we found it was, is we did feel alone, but, and, and, and that wasn't no fault of our friends at all, because we know our friends love us or we know our friends care about us. Mm-hmm. We know our friends would be there for anything that we want them to, like we need for, from them. Um, but you almost have that, you know, I, I don't want to ask. Um, I don't want to pry, you know, that's private information, you know, um, they don't, they don't want to talk to us about it. But if you're ever going through this, or you're currently going through this or plan on going through this, be open with your friends, tell them that you want to talk about it, it gets, you know, it makes the situation so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to talk to those that you know, or you're surrounded by uh, friends, family, Whoever it is that you you lean on for emotional support, uh, it makes it that much easier. And uh, with um, having your friends there, it means a whole lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like we didn't have any support. It just, at that particular moment in time, it just felt lonely. like, you know, you were lonely. Um, and I will say, you know, my best friend, every time we were on a call, she would always ask, are you okay to talk about it? Can I ask questions? Yeah. And I always said yes, because I just, it meant so much to me. Well, well, the reason you, you feel lonely at the time is because I don't think anybody understands what you're going through because they're not going through the same thing. It's like anything yeah. else in this world, right? If you don't understand that they're, you know, they're going through depression and you're sitting there going like, you know, well, you know, wake the fuck up and, you know, get just back on a horse, just be happy. <laughs> you know, you, you can't because you don't understand what they're going through, yeah. which is the same way for us. And that's why I think we felt lonely because nobody really understood the consequences of everything going on at that time mm-hmm. um, because they weren't going through it themselves, right? Yeah. And I would say our case of fertility or what it feels like even with other people that I've spoken to who have who have also gone through it. And I'll be honest with you, it's really surprising once you start opening up to people about what you're going through, how many other people are also going through it. A lot of my coworkers, um, you know, you kind of hear through the grapevine about different things that they were going on. And 
you know, it just, it felt like you had a little community that you could reach out to if you had questions. And I will say that, you know, for the four other girls that I knew at the time that were going through it, everybody had a different experience and everybody's situation was unique. Some were very successful and, you know, they went through the trials and tribulations of fertility and, you know, they have beautiful kids in their lives now. Unfortunately, you and I are not that statistic. Right. And... You know, I would say it took us a long time to accept that. Um, but I think we're we're not not that we're over it, but we're over it, right? I mean, we we've, accepted we've, it. we've accepted the fact that we're not going to be able to have children. Yeah. Um, that we're going to actually just be you and I, you know, and and yeah. that's it. And, and we're just going to be the cool auntie and uncle. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to spoil our four nephews as much as we can. I mean, one is 19, so I'm not sure how much we can spoil him anymore. Yeah. Although I'm sure he would disagree. Um, You know, and then we've got three young nephews that, you know, were pretty active in their lives. And, you know, we get to go home at the end of the day and we get to be the fun aunt and uncle. Right. You know, and we've got, we're lucky enough to have two godsons and, you know, we get to be auntie and uncle to all of our friends' kids. And you know what? That's enough for us now. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I mean, that makes things better having that kind of system as well, I guess, within your friends is that you get to see when you get to see them, you get to see their kids as well. Um, it's not like you're, you're walking around by yourself with no children at all. I work with children every day. Uh, I see children every day. We get to see our friends, kids. So, I mean, that kind of fills that gap where you don't have your own. Um, not totally, but at the same time, you still have some of that gap filled with, you know, getting to see other children from your friends and, and, and working at school. So, um, I guess that's where I stand with that. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to add to this right now. I would just say for anyone out there that's going through this um, or has gone through it, you know, hopefully you find a community of people that uh, will support you. And I know it feels like you're alone. You're not. There's so many people going through it. Um, you know, reach out on different social media you'll be amazed at the chat rooms that are out there there's you know in-person uh, groups that you can talk to that are people going through similar things don't you know it's okay to be emotional about it and it's also okay to be without kids if that's what it comes down to or if you or if you choose that you know you don't want to go through this anymore it's all okay yeah and, and if you do have any questions and you want to talk to one of us, uh, you're more than welcome to reach out to us on our social media platforms. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. Uh, you can actually reach out to us. Uh, we will keep everything confidential with you. Uh, you can say, hey, you know what? Hit me up with a private message and I will respond to you and try and give you as much help or you know, guidance or whatever it is you need, even the emotional support if you need it. We know this is a very uh, touchy subject. It's a very hard subject to talk about. Um, but, Personal. you know, if anybody does need to talk about it, if anybody wants to reach out, you're more than welcome to reach out to us and talk to us about it. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you a little bit of help on that. So I think we're going to wrap up this episode uh, on that note. And we thank you all again for joining us. 
We thank Mrs. Awesome once again for joining us on this episode and talking about our experiences. And as always, stay healthy, be kind to each other, and we will see you later. Here we go now! Hot turkey.